You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey, exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single-origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to kovacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, GOLDENWEST. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today in the show, we have Christine Soto. Christine is the owner of Dead or Alive, an independent neighborhood locally owned and operated wine shop in Palm Springs, California. Enjoy my conversation with Christine. Christine, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great having you here. So I think the first thing to do before we get into your bar, Dead or Alive, is talk a little about your background and how you came to opening the shop. Yeah. Um, It's funny to hear you call it a bar because I've stopped calling it a bar. Oh, my bad. (laughs) No, no, it is a bar. That's the thing. And it's going to be a bar again one day. But just for my own, you know, like my own sanity and sort of the shift, I call it the shop. Yeah. Uh, So the shop, the bar shop. I mean, we call it the shop anyways, right? If I'm talking to my neighbor, Bianca at Cream, the awesome little ice cream store next door, we text each other, are you at the shop? Are you at the shop? So yeah, dead or alive. Uh, well, I opened it in 2018 and you know, I thought there, I wanted a wine bar in, in my hometown in Palm Springs. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll just open one. And ironically, when you want something in your town and you're the one to run it, of course, you don't really get to enjoy it the way other people do. But so it goes. And ran it as a wine bar, you know, for almost five years until the pandemic. And now we've uh, we've shifted over to retail sales completely, which has been stressful, but also really wonderful. Yeah. And everyone is going through this transition period. And I know it's been tough for people. So we're going to get into the offerings of what you have available. And you have a really cool Instagram account where people can see all the colorful wines. And that's the one really cool thing among many about natural wines that I love is the labels. And sometimes there's clear bottles and you can actually see the bright colors and different things like that. Does that ring true for other people who, uh, who comment like customers and things like that? Yeah. um, Thanks, Ryan, for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, When we were speaking before, you know, we started recording, I mentioned that I feel more like a full-time marketer (laughs) versus a full-time wine professional. 
Um, but it's really important, especially right now, because how are you, you know, I can't pour a taste for people. That was my go-to. They'd be like, how's this wine? And I would say, well, let's have a taste, you know, let the wine speak for itself. And now more than ever, it's really important to convey uh, information about the wine on Instagram and online. And yeah, I have been getting some really positive feedback. So thank you. I, I do, I do try really hard. It's, it's very difficult to say, you know, it's, it's difficult to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Different when it comes to wine marketing, right? It's like bottle shot after bottle shot after bottle shot. It just gets kind of dull. At least it does for me. Like I look at my Instagram feed and it's just photo after photo of bottles. But uh, I've shifted a little more to like my personal perspective, I guess, when it comes to wine, um, which I've always been a little gun shy about because it's not really about me, right? It's about the wine. But I, you know, I don't have any other information to draw on, really. I, it's just how I experience the wine. So I've been doing that and uh, just trying to have fun with it because there's a lot, you know, to be worried or confused or upset about right now uh and this is my little creative outlet as it were yeah and you've built up such a little community there of as we talked about people going to the bar and now the shop Mm -hmm. um and what was it like for your transition to becoming an entrepreneur because you don't have a background in business right and you've this is kind of your first venture especially into the wine business Talk about that transition and the courage it took for you to be able to make that jump. Mm, Yeah, I, um, well, in terms of, we'll just, you know, I'll start with the transition and then work backwards. Uh, I'd been planning on adding a retail component uh, because I have a license that allows for me to do that uh, for some time. And in fact, it's, you know, like maybe over a year, really long time, you know, just thinking about, I want to add some shelving and open during the day and offer, you know, bottle shop slash bar model, very common and especially in bigger cities. Uh, and it wasn't that I was dragging my feet per se, but I just didn't have, you know, I didn't have my vision quite down. Plus I was running the bar day to day, seven days a week. So in a sense, and I know this is a really common story for a lot of people in business right now, you know, my hand was forced. And uh, I've been able to focus, I've had to focus completely on that. So I don't know if it took courage. If anything, it was the little, the big push that I needed. Um, And so in some ways, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, As far as being an entrepreneur, it took me a long time to call myself that because I always associated it with like tech, you know, (laughs) like tech magnets or yeah, people that are, you know, doing big things. Um, I always said small business owner, uh, and it's both really. But I, when I was like 28, I guess, and I'm 36 now, I just, I, I kind of snapped. I hated my job and I just quit one day. Like I didn't give notice or anything, which is, you know, kind of embarrassing. It's not that professional, but I I was just over it and I've never gone back to working for anyone in a meaningful way. I've had a couple little jobs over the years um, before I opened the shop, but uh, I just couldn't go work at a desk anymore for 
someone else doing something that I wasn't creatively inspired by. So that's really it. I don't know if it's my personality or what, but I couldn't, just something in me shifted. And I had one business before this. Uh, so that's, you mentioned this being my first, this is my first like uh, consumer business, but I had a B2B business um, in newspaper distribution. And I learned a lot that way, just, just about really unsexy, you know, paperworky stuff. Uh, but I really have to hand it to my mother. You know, my mom had a little business when I was a kid. She ran out of the house, a home business, as we used to call it in the 80s and 90s. I remember that. She rent and sold. Yeah, rent. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she talked to a lot of new moms, nursing moms, and there were three of us kids. So she would take us with her. <laughs> Because the nature of the business allowed for that, right? Like we're talking about children and babies and stuff. So we would go with her to deliver, you know, breast pumps and stuff like that. And I would just watch her talk to customers and, you know, balance her books every month. And really, it was just, yeah, I I watched my mom run a business from her house from the time I was, you know, two years old till about 14. And then she she got a job uh, at that, you know later but uh I think that was my first that that's why maybe somewhere inside me there was the ability or the the sort of wisdom to do what I'm doing now wow that's a really interesting story and to be able to learn from such a young age Mm -hmm. and take that with you I think it's really cool let's get into the concept and for people who don't know, you know, dead or alive bar and shop.com, people can go to the website. So we'll have mm. the link here in the show notes to hopefully purchase some wine and maybe even listen to this back later while you're sipping on some great wine. But mm-hmm. let's get into the concept of the bar and, and shop, obviously with the emphasis on the shop during the, the COVID crisis. But yeah. talk a little about that for people who just aren't familiar with it. Yeah. Uh, Dead or Alive, I, I was recently looking at my Google, uh, you know, search terms that some of the stats on Google and people are still searching when they come to Palm Springs, what bars are open in Palm Springs, bars in Palm Springs, are bars open in California, stuff like that. So it's still very widely, you know, our our brand is being a bar, um, but uh, transitioning to the shop basically the bar top has turned into wine shelving and then just last week i had an actual shelf installed and i have a fridge merchandiser so you can get cold beer um but yeah instead of you know visiting palm springs to have a drink in a dark bar especially in the summer we have really good air conditioning so you could cool down and it's nice and dark and and sexy and fun um you go during the day and stock up for your vacation rental or you know or your hotel room with wine. That's that's what we have to offer at this point. I'm really pressing locals to stop buying wine from uh, from supermarkets. <laughs> they don't need you. I need you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, some of the best advice that I've gotten, and I've 
I've seen this online and other places is when you're getting into wine and you want to step up your game from whether it's a Trader Joe's or however you're kind of drinking wine now, maybe you you grab bottles at the grocery store, seek out your local wine shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually there's one in every city. And if there isn't, it's more and more shops are being opened. And so yeah. like in Los Angeles, we have at least a few, yeah, and, a lot. you know, yeah. And so when you look at all the major cities, they've been popping up in the past few years, but it's some of the best advice because not only is the selection curated, but you can also get advice on maybe trying something new and interesting that you haven't tried before. So let's get into just kind of the theme of the wines that you offer. And then we can go down that rabbit hole a little bit and talk about some of the individual wines um, yeah. And your selection is so awesome here. I'm looking at right on the website <laughs> and uh, the photos are displayed really nicely so people can see the labels and, and everything there. It's uh, it's small, but mighty. I mean, if you go into a proper, well, not that we're not a proper shop, but you know, more established shop, I should say they'll have 500 SKUs, a thousand SKUs, you know, we have maybe 200, um, which, which poses a, a fun challenge for me because I can't have everything, you know, I can't have every single region in France and Spain. I can't have every, you know, varietal on planet earth. Um, so I just, I rotate it really is how I, I get through it. Um, which is, as you can probably imagine, a lot of work maintaining the site and taking photos and all that stuff. That's partially why there's not tasting notes on there. Cause there's just, I'm just one person. <laughs> Um, but I'm always happy to talk about wine. I mean, I feel like a, a like a personal concierge sommelier in a sense because people text me or DM me, which I love. I'm like, text me, you know, do you what do you want to drink with dinner tonight? I mean, I'm used to doing it behind the bar, so at least I could do it from the comfort of my couch. Um, yeah, yeah, I've had this conversation with a couple, with a few different people. So I've had a couple psalms on the show. I've had at least one wine shop owner like yourself in Los Angeles, Stanley's Wet Goods, which is which yeah. is I love in Culver City. Um, great. They're Hollywood. great. Great yeah. And so, you know, and I've, I've had this conversation even with other people in the wine business talking about how the lines are becoming very blurred and gray between a psalm and someone like a wine shop owner. And John Stanley told me that he sees himself as kind of like a psalm for the local community. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk a little about, you know, how you actually have taken that on and embraced it, because I think that's kind of a good way to look at it. People are looking for advice not only mm-hmm. on maybe what to pair something with food, but something new and interesting to try because wine can be really intimidating for a lot of people, I think. It absolutely is. And I want to unpack a few things you said. I want to kind of go back first about the advice of buying wine from a, a local wine shop. I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to become some sort of advocate for this because I think people unknowingly, you know, they're just at the store, they're at the grocery store or whatever, and they just grab a couple bottles not thinking that there's a way more impactful way to support their local community, you know? Um, and there's just the supply chain of wine for independent, you know, wineries and distributors, brokers, importers is all a small business the whole way, like down back to the winery that produces it. Uh, so of course we love convenience and, and maybe we're intimidated by wine, but if at all possible, yes go to a local wine shop. Um, 
uh, Jane Lopez said something recently. She posted on Instagram and I reposted it. She said, there's absolutely, there's absolutely a magic bullet for personalized wine help service and education. It's called a local wine shop. And I just love that. Like it's, she's not the first person to say that a lot of people have said, go to a local wine shop, but it is the, it's the best advice when people say, I want to get into wine. How, How do I do that? And there's really just, yeah, the one magic bullet, the one golden ticket, and that's the local wine shop. You know, we didn't really have that in Palm Springs before. There have been a couple little places, but they focus maybe more on food or kind of liquor store vibe. So that's my that's my goal is to be the neighborhood wine shop in Palm Springs. Uh, so I'm working every day towards being that. And I have to say, it's, it's an absolute joy. So when it comes to, yeah, being a personal sommelier or <laughs> like a, a local wine shop, I love it. Um, I know wine can be intimidating and that's kind of our fault as wine professionals for making it really, I don't know, snobby, I guess. A lot of people have talked about this dilemma in the wine world where, okay, so wine is so vast, so confusing, you know, master sommeliers spend their lives learning about all this wine and so much of that knowledge never makes it down to the consumer and I think that's our first problem right that starting with the gating factor there's so many gating factors in wine and first we gate the professionals like you need to know a certain amount or pronounce things a certain way or you know be a genius when it comes to wine theory and I've never subscribed to that but I always was a little ashamed of that because personally, I'm not like I probably couldn't pass the advanced exam if I took it, you know, not that I ever aspired to. But I just don't hold on to that much wine information in my brain because, well, at first I, I thought maybe it's because I wasn't smart enough or something, which is not true. But the, the truth is because I don't need to know all that stuff. You know, I know a lot. I know way more than a layman and certainly a lot more than the people that come into the shop. But oftentimes people come in and know more than me. They'll tell me about a wine that I sell. And I'm like, well, this wine tastes really good. And it's imported by someone who's seller. So that's why I carry it. But I, I don't I don't think it's necessary, depending on your community, that you need to understand all this stuff about wine. You need to. As a as a wine shop owner or small wine bar, you know local corner bar professional you just need to serve the community that you're in uh christy norman who just got 40 under 40 for wine enthusiasts congratulations she said something that i love and i also posted on instagram she said i wish that wine professionals were measured by the impact that their knowledge has on the community rather than how many flashcard answers about must wait they can rattle off and that 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 spoke to me. She was talking about them in the context of, you know, gatekeeping and diversity and, you know, things related to the BIPOC community in wine, but I related to that too. And so back to, I think I'm going to answer your question finally, which is, you know, what's it like or what's your role in being a, you know, community wine professional? That's it. I, I just want to help the people that live around here and visit here. And that's, my goal. And um, so in any way I can do that better, I'm, I'm trying daily. Yeah, that's great. And before we get into some of the wines here, mm-hmm. let's talk about Palm Springs and the evolution of that. There'll be 
probably a lot of people listening to the podcast here living in Los Angeles or maybe San Diego or somewhere within a drive. Um, yeah. You know, it used to be the weekend trip or heading it out to Coachella, and, and, it's still, yeah. and it still is. So let's talk about, you know, the evolution because you grew up there. And when I first found Dead or Alive, I think it was LA Weekly or, you know, you've had some really great press for, over the years. And my first thought was, wow, I, I was really interested. In- yeah. So the shop's located at 150 East Palm Canyon, which is way the, on the east end of town. So as you drive in, you need to go a few miles down to, well, the south end of town, really. So I'm not on the main drag. I'm past the main drag. Uh, but Palm Springs is in one of its cyclical <laughs> phases right now. Now, certainly, you know, people our age or who didn't know much about Palm Springs history will be like, wow, Palm Springs is really developing. And, you know, maybe they might use the word Renaissance or, you know, it's popular. uh, It's coming up, but that's, that's been the case for Palm Springs over, over the millennia, not the millennia, but you know what I mean? Over many, many decades. I mean, my great grandfather, great grandmother, they moved to Palm Springs from the Bay area um, in the forties. My great grandfather uh, emigrated from the Philippines and they got into hospitality. He was a caterer. So, you know, Palm Springs was hot in the 40s. And then, you know, again, you can, <laughs> I love to Google this because I'll find an article from like the New York Times in 1990 and they'll be like, Palm Springs is hot again, going through a renaissance. So I kind of roll my eyes when that happens because, it, it, you know, it's like this boom and bust, right? When I was growing up, in the 90s, which is funny about the New York Times article, maybe that was like 1990. So I was, you know, it's like mid 90s. Um, Palm Springs is a ghost town. It was spring break had been shut down. And, you know, a lot of downtown was a lot of the shops were uh, boarded up and empty. And as far as visitors go, there might be some in the know folks from Los Angeles that just enjoyed the desert landscape. And there was a couple little B&Bs around. Um, or they had a second home here or the Canadians, I mean, the snowbirds, they had a lot of, you know, a lot of people own second homes here when it was inexpensive to buy homes and, uh, which has obviously changed and they kind of kept the local economy going for a long time. And of course the LGBTQ plus community, um, that that's really, you know, had an impact for sure. Uh, but what's happened in the past, I want to say six, seven, eight years is a lot of young people have moved back to Palm Springs or maybe they're new to town and they've opened businesses with varying success, I would say. Um, I think there's this impression that, you know, Palm Springs is is so hot and so popular, like it's kind of a gold rush. You know, you come here and open, well, why isn't there a this or why isn't there a that, whether it's a coffee shop or a smoothie place or whatever, a Pilates studio, you just look around, you're like, oh, well, this doesn't exist. Well, I'll open it. Um, it's not quite like that. Uh, certainly more people are visiting here. And so there's a need for businesses like that. But since it's seasonal and since there's only about 45,000 full-time residents, you know, it's, you have to be, as an owner, very involved in your business. I mean, you can't like set up shop and just watch it go. So as far as how things have changed, I think really good PR. (laughs) There's this impression that, you know, 
like I said, Palm Springs is gold and it's amazing. And there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, a lot of millennials like myself, I mean, granted I'm slightly older millennial, but have moved back after living in Los Angeles or New York or Seattle or San Francisco, Chicago, wherever they went to school and have come home and helped revitalize the family business or open their own business like me. And so there, there's definitely a streak of a stripe of youth and, you know, modernity, if you will. Um, and so the visitors now tend to be a little younger, but I would say there's a lot of, a lot of, press and impression that that's the dominant culture of Palm Springs and however it's still kind of a a retirement community I think the average age of the people that live in Palm Springs is like over 65 uh so yeah that's you really- <laughs> the, the snowbirds too and for people who mm-hmm. know that term it's that's you know a huge part of the culture where uh during the winter it kind of um you know, things change and, and this, you get this influx of people and things like that. So, and as you yeah. mentioned, the demographics are shifting. So yeah. it's something that does happen slowly, but it's nice to see. I mean, I remember going down to the desert and going to the old mall before it got remodeled and going to Swenson's. So that's over in Palm Desert. Um, yeah. But you can look at different uh, places within the, uh, the city. And of course, Palm Springs is really where a lot of the action is happening and things like that. So, you yeah, know, it's, it's great to see that there's some changes happening. It's a cultural epicenter for sure. Palm Springs is the brand, as they say. But what we're really talking about is the greater Coachella Valley. So Cedar City, Palm Desert, La Quinta Indian Wall. Yeah, and isn't there a show called Palm Springs out now? Someone told me about <laughs> that. There, there was a movie. There's a movie, okay. Andy Sandberg, uh, with Andy Sandberg called Palm Springs, which was not not one second was filmed in Palm Springs and has nothing to do with Palm Springs. Oh my gosh. It's a cute movie, but well, that just speaks to the brand of Palm Springs. The brand. Everyone loves Palm Springs. Well, a lot of people do. And so you call it that and you get a lot of excitement, but like I was trying to say, and I don't know if I conveyed, you know, a lot of that is fluff or PR. I mean, there is something absolutely special about Palm Springs and it's not necessarily the stuff that you're reading about in articles or newspapers or whatever. Um, as far as shifting demographics, I mean, post pandemic, we'll really see because a lot of people are leaving the city and moving to Palm Springs because they're like, oh, we can work from home. <laughs> not that people weren't doing that before, but now almost everyone, right? Unless you're unless you're essential and you have to be out there. Uh, so there might truly be a larger shift in demographics versus like a smaller sliver that has been highly promoted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, no, that's, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. and, and it will be interesting to see how things evolve over time. And I think yeah. everything is moving in the right direction. So let's talk a little about the wines here. I've, when I first looked at the website, at the new shop website, there were so many I recognized and also so many that were new and interesting that I hadn't even seen or tasted before. So that was kind of cool. The handful I've tasted is a Massacan, uh, mm-hmm. which is the flagship Annie from uh, Dan Petrosky. He also makes wine in Napa Valley at a 
a place called Lark Mead. Um, so that's a really interesting side project he has with white wines. I saw Vinca Minor, which I love uh, mm-hmm. for a chillable red. Ashes and Diamonds, which we had Steve Mathiason on the podcast, which was really fun. Um, awesome. You know, so let's talk. Yeah, let's, and most people know him from the Psalm <laughs> film, I think, uh, or at least from the what? Him. The Psalm film. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so let's let's get into some of the offerings here, or maybe some of the the new ones you got in, or or stuff that you've been drinking lately and enjoy. And yeah. also in the second part of that is how people can interact with you and and purchase wine and support the store. So I, in terms of wine selection, I guess I say that I carry wine that's made by real people, kind mm-hmm. of a play on hashtag real wine which the first time i saw that was pascalino petier she always uh hashtags that in her in her posts so it's not natural wine per se although i would say nearly every skew in the shop is you know would be considered natural wine with some exceptions depending on how you define it like whether or not they have sulfur or you know maybe there's some mechanized harvest procedure not every 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 single winemaker necessarily uses native yeast. I know that's sort of the what's the metaphor? I can't think of it. But you know, if you're not doing native yeast fermentation, then it's not necessarily natural wine. Now, I've had many conversations with winemakers who have all these reasons why they inoculate with a certain kind of yeast that maybe they've cultivated over the years, or you know, yeah. they just have their reasons. I trust winemakers. You know, I don't trust marketers in some ways other people although i love yeah, them some, and i'm yeah sometimes uh, i refer to it as low intervention or other terms i like the real wine one because it also goes back to what you said about you know real people in a real store and a real small business not a corporation like you really are supporting mm-hmm. you know the winemaker and you're supporting the the retail a store owner yourself who sells it so i think that's a, a good way to look at it yeah and you know those people have reasons that they do things and I I admire them so much you know so if they're gonna use some um you know yeast nutrition or something to make sure their fermentations don't get stuck I I'm not gonna quibble with that you know um and really as all of us one professional say it's really about how it tastes you know so if the wine tastes great and it's not you know, made by 100% machines, uh, a million bottles at a time, then I'm happy to carry it and sell it. Um, so that, that's my one big thing about which wines I carry. And, you know, I'm still learning. Like I mentioned a little earlier, I don't have all the world wine knowledge. Um, and shifting into the retail is, I mean, I used to deal with 30 wines by the glass at a time, and now I'm dealing with hundreds of wines. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. really ramping up. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I don't claim to have, like I said, like a vision or endless knowledge about exactly what I'm doing. Um, I'm on, I'm on a journey. So you're on this journey with me. Uh, but thankfully, I have a lot of great relationships with distributors and importers and specifically California winemakers. So, you know, if the wine has integrity and it's made with real processes and real people, then those are the wines I carry. I do have a lot of California wines, of course, because I 
I started a Palm Springs Wine Festival and, uh, you know, have, I'm totally in love with California wine. It's, it's kind of strange to me that people don't, that aren't necessarily into California wine. I mean, I get it because of the marketing about, you know, Napa Cab and Chardonnay and there's so much undrinkable California wine on the shelves, but California wine is, is amazing. I mean, it's such a big state and like if I had to choose one place to drink wine from for the rest of my life, it would absolutely be California. France would be very, 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 very close afterward, but um, you can get everything you want in California. It's Definitely. And there's incredible. been this explosion of new winemakers experimenting and not just experimenting, but making, you know, I would say world-class wine, as you mentioned, from all over California and some very old vines and different yeah. areas that you weren't as sought after. Maybe they can do it at a lower price point too, but the quality is really high. So you look at Carignan, Mavedra, mm-hmm. um, so many, you know, different wines. Like I mentioned, Finca Minor, they make an awesome chillable Carignan and I'm seeing yeah. on the website. Martha Stuman, she has a great uh, post flirtation. I see you have the white here. I have the white, um, yeah. And she makes the red as well, which is a really cool mix of Zinfandel, Carignan, and something else, I think. Maybe Mavedra too. So th- there's just so many really cool you know, experimentation and going back to kind of how wine was made. You, know, you talked about, you know, mm-hmm. Maybe adding a little sulfur or something like that and fermentations and some of that gets technical. But I think the yeah. the main takeaway is is lower inter- intervention and, and experimenting with grapes that people don't get. Like you can't get any of these type of grapes when you go to like a Ralph's or even a Whole Foods. They don't have anything like this. So talk a little about some of the wines that mm-hmm. you have been or popping open or, or tasting lately. Yeah. Well, just to comment on what you said about you know, stuff on the grocery store shelves. The thing is you are drinking those grapes. I mean, that's why they're grown. Like there might be some Carignan or maybe not Mavet because right. it's expensive, well, it's but definitely point. Merlot blended into your quote unquote California cab, you know? Uh, so this definitely. is really just more about California terroir and transparency. You know, people say they don't like Merlot. I'm like, you've been drinking Merlot for years. <laughs> no, <laughs> you really like Merlot. Everyone likes Merlot. Let's get to what they say. Yeah. Um, Probably Zinfandel too, some of these blends. Absolutely. Totally. So what it really is, you know, and that's what's interesting. And we, you know, maybe that's a conversation for later, but, and it's been, it's been covered a lot just about lifting the veil of California wine. Cause it was made so, you know, the marketers are geniuses when it comes to California wine, because they've made it in little sound bites that you can, you know, that you can understand if you're not trying to get into wine, whether it's like Napa, Cabernet, Chardonnay, you know, thing they've it's the complete opposite of France, let's say, where you need to understand that Bordeaux is actually a blend of things. You know, they've just made it they're like, how do we make this as stupid as possible? <laughs> you know, not stupid, <laughs> but because it is. Wine is really is really confusing. And you don't need to know a lot about it. You just need to go to your local wine shop and that person will learn the kind of wines you like. And if you want to dig in, let's dig in, you know. And if you don't, then you could be like, hey, what I drank last time was really great. You know, can I have something similar? And you don't necessarily need to understand everything about it. But you can feel good about that purchase because the person that's selling it to you understands it, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, to your question, what am I drinking? 
you know, oddly enough, um, so I've always drank a lot of white wine since I've been into wine. Just white wine, white wine, white wine, you know, high acid, uh, <laughs> crisp white wine, white burgundy, you know, the usual kind of wine professional sommelier go-to. You always want like a palate cleansing white wine. But I have to say, lately, I've been drinking a lot of red wine, chilled red wine, or I'll put a chill on any red wine. I'm not drinking red wine that's over maybe 40 degrees. <laughs> uh, and I'm surprised because it's an especially hot summer uh, on top of that. But yeah, I've been I've been drinking some chilled reds um, like Jolie Laid and Grolo from Loire and uh, Sparkling Gamay. And I just keep reaching for the red wine. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't know that you can have a red wine that's pretty chilled down because they're used to drinking like a high alcohol Cabernet yeah. or even like a Zinfandel that you buy at the grocery store or even mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And it's those wines you cannot chill, especially if they're really high alcohol. So mm-hmm. talk to people, just touch briefly on the kind of the chillable red aspect of the wines that you sell, because that's something I think that is new to a lot of people. And I know when I discovered it, I was like, this is awesome. I love this because I, I love <laughs> drinking my wines a little bit cooler anyway. And especially, you know, you, you drink white wines that way. And reds, I, I do like to chill them down a little bit more. So Yeah. Uh, my friend Courtney Walsh, she sells um, wine for Amy Atwood in, uh, in Southern California, in L.A. area. And she's like, I drink all my wine. She's, I drink cabs. You know, not the high alcohol uh, supermarket cabs, but she's like, I drink you know, Cabernet completely cold. And I used to kind of, you know, like you can't see me because it's a podcast, but I was like kind of squint my eyes and go, what? Uh, so that's the thing that's so great about wine is like you keep learning about stuff throughout your journey. Even though I've been selling wine for years, my taste is changing. And the fact that, oh, basically if it's not over alcohol or over oaked, almost every single wine, red wine can be chilled down. I think, I mean, that's a personal preference, but, you know, Mater de Chez Zinfandel, I drink. I'll just put it in the fridge and chill it totally down. And if it's too, if it's too cold to drink that first sip, then it'll warm up in the glass. You know, yeah. I just drank Refosco cold, totally cold. And that's got a good amount of tannin and body and structure, you know, but it was so, it was like so pleasurable. And I realized I just like cold drinks, iced water, beer, white wine, sparkling wine, you know, like, especially when it's hot, I just want something cold, something refreshing. Um, so it's yeah. really, the category of chilled red has been what a lighter pressed red wine or certain varietals that, um, you know, aren't as structured uh, and a certain style of winemaking, perhaps it's in same in tank or something like that versus versus oak because of course the oak and the alcohol is what really doesn't work well with chilling um so there is like the vinca Menor chill or a lot of these liter bottles that are chill las Haras glue glue stuff like that where it's specifically you need to chill it it's almost like a dark rosé really but i think the trend is turning more towards oh what's what's a wine that wasn't necessarily made to chill like you know chardon gamay that i have in the shop that you can just completely put in the fridge and, you know, drink cold with your chicken dinner. Absolutely tasty. 
Yeah, no, that, that's those are all great points. Talk a little about, you know, you mentioned wines that you love to chill and sparkling um, and Pet Nat came to mind. Mm, Talk yeah. a little about, you know, do you have people coming in that are uh, interested or um, like confused about it? Because I remember when I first uh it kind of blew up in the, even the mainstream media in like 2011, 12, maybe mm-hmm. 2013. And then we had kind of orange wine and skin contact wine. And we've had these different kind of waves. But when I first heard about uh, Petulant Natural, I mm-hmm. was, I definitely went pat down the rabbit hole and started <laughs> learning about the, the traditional way that champagne is made. And then, yeah. Like it it was very interesting for me. And then I I was kind of, like you said, you can't see because of a podcast. I was kind of squinting my eyes when I saw the bottle. I'm like, tilting your head. What? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, well, the bottle also looked like a beer bottle because, you know, most of them you pop the top. So talk a little about Pet Nat. Oh, now we're we're digging into a lot of topics here. Um, I think, you know, just to talk about like how a bottle looks, right? So there's this, you know, there's, so much about wine is about tradition, you know, or things that we've done over millennia and with just science and experimentation and, you know, improvements in transportation and stuff like that. A lot of the things we thought were, um, you know, unimpeachable are not true. Like corks, corks aren't necessarily, they're an amazing vessel to, to, to preserve and store wine, but they're not the only thing. So with pet nat, if you have a crown cap or something, um, it's just less expensive and you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to riddle it necessarily. Well, that's not right. We know that pet nats now, they do disgorge them. Um, <laughs> a lot of pet nets are disgorged and then topped, but um, you just want to, you know, keep the price down and not have the cork with the cage. And so that's part of the crown cap. And so it looks like a beer. But so many wines are being crown capped now. I mean, not even sparkling wine, just because, you know, you want to keep the price down on a wine. You don't want to spend all the money on a cork. Um, so it's kind of a populist thing, I think, when it comes to pet nat. Uh, but I think the rise in pet nat is part of is also part of natural wine because, right, champagne isn't considered natural wine. Like the the tradition, the champagne method of making of of wine is not quote unquote natural because of the secondary fermentation. Um, that that's changing a little bit, but the rise in pet nat is it, it coincides with the rise in natural wine. And just like with anything else, I just love all styles of wine. You know, I don't prefer pet nat over champagne or you know red wine over white wine or whatever. I just I always want to know. You know, I want to know all kinds of wine. Sweet wine, like I love dessert wine. It is kind of hard to sell sweet wine. That sparkling gamay that I mentioned is demi sec and. Some people really aren't about it, but I mean, one of the true pleasures in life is a well-made sweet wine, I think. Um, yeah. And for people who haven't had that, again, your website, you have a really vast selection here. So you have wines of all types, not just the ones you like, even though you do have a little area there for new wines and Christine's Crush, which yeah. is kind of cool there. Well, We're talking what, yeah. about, yeah, let's get into, yeah, you can, you can touch on that, but let's get into how people can support the shop. 
as we went over, you were a bar and that's what you were known for. And you've converted to kind of a bar and shop and really obviously just a shop right now during COVID, but something where people do need to come together and support local businesses. And there's so many restaurants and even stores that have been closing. So talk a little on how people can yeah, interact with you and be able to support the shop. And the website here we'll have in the show notes. Yes. So the old website is debtoralivebar.com, but that links to the new site, which is debtoralivebaranshop.com, because that's just like an e-commerce site, basically. I don't ship. So if one were to support me, when you come to Palm Springs and you make that initial uh, shopping run to load up your vacation rental, just grab, don't grab the wine from the supermarket, make a second trip to Dead or Alive, or we deliver. I mean, we deliver Palm Springs for free. And if you don't maybe drink or you're not here in Palm Springs, we do gift cards. So I think someone knows, probably almost everyone listening to this podcast knows someone that's, you know, going to visit Palm Springs soon or has a trip planned or maybe themselves is going to visit Palm Springs. So there's that. And we'll have some, uh, I don't know if by the time this pod is up, but definitely some swag coming up, t-shirts and things like that. And then honestly, a free way to support me. And I, you know, I can't emphasize this enough is like, just hop on Google and do a five-star review. You know, you don't have to write anything. I mean, if you're really a saint and you want to go on Yelp and mention that we're a shop now, I'll love you forever. Um, I will, I refuse to go on Yelp because it'll hurt my feelings too much, but uh, there's a, there's a ton of ways. Just, if you're a Palm Springs aficionado and people are like, what do I do in Palm Springs? Just remind them that, you know, we're still a shop and it doesn't have to be, you know, like Instagram, repost some of my stuff, comment. There are, and not just that are alive, but everything you do. I mean, I've had to practice what I preach. I canceled my Amazon prime account. I don't, you know, I wait two weeks to get a book delivered. I go out of my way to buy a plant from, you know, my friends at Thickest Thieves instead of driving down to Lowe's and, you know, buying a house plant that I want right that moment. I just think about every single purchase I make and how it can support a local place before I do it. Um, I wish there was a way to buy like a box fan from a local retailer or something stupid like that. But uh, as much as I can, when it comes to certainly food and wine and clothes and you know, home decor, absolutely support a local business, whether it's dead or live or not. Yeah, great. Those are those are great sentiments. Christine, this was really fun having you on. And for people, whether you're in uh, L.A., San Diego, you could be anywhere. Um, like you said, you'll probably be find yourself in Palm Springs at some point. So or someone you know. <laughs> someone you know, definitely. So uh, spread the word and uh, support the shop. And, um, and find some really great wines and taste some really good stuff uh, while you're at it. So uh, this was a lot of fun. We'll have the link here in the show notes so people can um, you know share around the link and also, like you said, uh, leave some good positive feedback and reviews so p- more people can find the shop too online and social media. So um, we'll, we're going to do all that. And Christine, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's great. Love chatting with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. 
find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter, at goldenwestpod, or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.